0: Happy Wednesday, Secret Squad. I am so excited for today's new episode of I've Got a Secret. I'm talking with two women who have the most unbelievable personal story. Their story is so shocking that it was adapted into a six-part story for the New York Times, a true crime podcast, and a hit television show titled Dirty John. The podcast was downloaded 10 million times in six weeks, and the television show received a Golden Globe nomination. My guest, Deborah Newell, and her daughter, Tara Newell, and they're going to tell us not only how a criminal internet scammer manipulated his way into their family, but... More importantly, how they moved on with their lives afterward. We're going to also be discussing feeling trapped in a relationship and the steps you can take to reclaim your life and your happiness. We're talking about the secret to moving forward. Deborah and Tara, thank you so much for dialing in remotely with me today. Thank you so much
1: for having us
0: today. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Oh, listen, I really, really appreciate it. And I've been so excited. I've looked so forward to the two of you being on my podcast with me. And Deborah, we originally met on the Dr. Phil show. We
2: sure did. I remember. I just loved you guys.
0: (laughs) Well, I I have to say, I, I remember sitting there in my seat in the audience and I was just I was mesmerized by you. I I sat there and listened to your story and you discuss your story with Philip and I was so moved by so many things. I was so moved by your strength and by your perseverance. I I just it it truly was a story that I will never forget. So I'm thrilled that we have this chance to reconnect today. Thank you. uh, Me too. You're so welcome. So let's, let's really, let's get started and let's start at the beginning, Deborah. So can you give our listeners a rundown of how you met John Meehan and who he turned out to be?
2: Well, um, I was at that point where the kids were raised and my business was successful. And I felt like this was my time to meet somebody and have, you know, a companion in my life. And Mm -hmm. so I went on a dating website, and after quite a few different people that I looked at, I went out on four or five different dates, Uh, there was John. Mm -hmm. And the way he described himself, seemed like the perfect guy, which there's no such thing, but (laughs) Uh, but (laughs) he showed that he was a doctor. Which I liked, um, seemed very intelligent, seemed a family man, an animal lover, and just seemed to have it all in my eyes.
0: Wow. He really did check off every box, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he, he was oh. great at that.
0: <laughs> mm.
2: So mm. we went out, started dating. It was a whirlwind. He loved me to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt good. I have to be honest with you, it did. Um, who at, you know, in my, I'm in my sixties, who doesn't love someone telling you how beautiful you are, how wonderful you are. And, you know, just say all the right things Mm -hmm. and ask you questions, want to really get to know who you are.
0: And, you know, it doesn't really matter what age you are, you know, sixties, fifties, forties. It really doesn't matter when, when someone has calculated just exactly what to say to a woman. He knew how to sweep you off your feet. He did. Yes.
2: yes. Oh, he was a pro. Oh. <laughs> so we um, started dating. There were some bumps in the road, mm-hmm. uh, but he seemed very polite and moved way too fast for me.
0: Oh, uh, you know, I know that you have discussed this from the very beginning uh, from meeting him, but can I ask you again? At what point did you start noticing some red flags, or did you? What were the red flags that you had in the beginning? And did you notice them, or looking back now?
2: Looking back, definitely. Of course. Especially as I educate myself Mm -hmm. uh, to understand what the red flags are. Um, So, yes, I, I started seeing them, but I ignored them. Oh. I did the wrong thing. I ignored it because it felt so good and I was falling in love.
0: So what would you say were some of those red flags you did notice, but he chose to ignore? Well,
2: the fact that he wanted to get married so soon. Mm-hmm. And I really feel it. There, there's different stages of falling in love and the courtship, mm-hmm. getting to know the person and then seeing if you can live with that person, mm-hmm. um, deal breakers, you name it. Mm-hmm. So he went straight to wanting to get married, he told me it was love at first sight. One red flag that I saw was I didn't like how he treated my
0: kids. I was just going to ask yeah. Tara that. I was, yeah, I'm My so kids sorry.
2: are everything oh, yes. to me.
0: Yes, yes, that is so important. And while that is a huge red flag, I was just going to ask Tara if she noticed red flags either at the same time or before you did, Tara, what what were your gut feelings about this relationship from the beginning? Did you notice red flags before your mom did? A hundred percent,
1: because at first what these people try to do is they try to isolate your family and the people closest to you. And I'm the one that's buzzing in her ear saying, Hey, like, why is he using your car? That's not right. Or isn't that a little strange since he says he's an anesthesiologist and there is a lot of stories just not adding up. Mm -hmm. And this was just the first time I met him. And I went back probably like a week or two later And it was the same questions I would have. And so it made a major concern Mm -hmm. for me.
2: And keep in mind, a con man has an answer for everything.
0: And it's
2: extremely believable.
0: That's so true. And I have to tell you, you know, I have a foundation, When Georgia Smiled, and we focus on domestic violence and sexual assault. And so I, of course, have done a lot of research and I've had a lot of interaction with victims of domestic violence and sexual assault. And every bit of information you will ever hear or ever read and ever see is the number one tool of an abuser is isolation. It is to isolate their victim from family, from friends, from all relationships in their lives, isolate them so that they have them to themselves and then start abusing them, yeah, yeah. mentally, physically, are- verbally. What was the initial impact he had on your entire family when he started his games and his abuse?
2: I think the initial, I have smart kids, and I've always been really close to all my kids. And But the one thing that had been a challenge is they didn't like anyone I dated or was with. So I thought, oh, here we go again. But he didn't make any kind of effort to get to know them. And I think they're great. Um, so for me, I kept thinking, oh, they'll end up all getting along. You know, I kept thinking it'll be OK. Everything will work out.
0: But it didn't. It got worse and worse. And Tara, what what steps did you start to take from the very beginning to uh, protect your mom?
1: Um well, I don't recommend this because I was very emotional in it, and I think that when you're coming at a person that is in a relationship like this, you have to come at them with reasoning, Mm -hmm. because that's going to be the only logic. And when you act emotional, when you come into a situation, it kind of, um, and this is like a trick that a lot of con artists actually do, is they get the girl or the other person to be more emotional, so that when the cops come in and stuff, they're like, that person's the crazy one. I'm like calm, cool, and collected one, so Mm -hmm. there's obviously something wrong with her. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I fed into my emotions when I probably shouldn't have. And then I finally got smart and I was like, okay, i this is not working. I need to figure out a different way to approach the scenario. And I came at her and I told her that I was open to getting together with him and working things out. Right. And he never was.
0: (gasps) And he never was. So Deborah, were you receptive to your family's worries in the beginning? Were you open to hearing how worried they were?
2: I was open, but I'll be honest with you, because I was falling in love. I wasn't seeing it, because he mm. was so he was so great to me. So on the outside, he could be seeing certain things, but on the inside, in our relationship, he was treating me like a queen. So I just kept thinking, oh, they're going to see this great guy; they're all going to get along; uh, everything will work out, which obviously it didn't.
0: Well, I can understand too your dilemma in that your children are grown, and as you said in the beginning, that you thought it's it's time it's my time now. It's it's time for me to have uh, my own life, and I'll, and and he was basically feeding you this life that you decided it was time for you to have. So I I completely understand the conflict that you must have felt when your children would come to you and and tell you something negative. You
2: feel torn Mm -hmm. because you want everyone to get along. You love this man. You're falling in love with this man who you think he is. And Mm -hmm. you adore and love your children. So you, you just want this big, happy family. And so, again, I know things can start out rough, and as time goes by, things can get better, and that's what I was
0: hoping for. Did you—when you did notice, though, that uh, he was never open to having a relationship with your children, did that just hang in your mind all the time? Was he obvious about that?
2: Oh, yeah, you're in so much conflict. Um, He liked my son— uh, he actually did like Tara, uh, he would tell me. He had a bigger problem with Nicole and Jacqueline, um, my two two other daughters, uh, because they were more boisterous about it. Mm-hmm. Tara lived in Vegas, and so
1: she really uh, was there twice or three times. Um, and then I tried to stay out of it yeah. at points because mm-hmm. I just... It, made me so um, emotional and mm-hmm. just brought up so many feelings that even like from childhood and stuff that I didn't deal with and I just could not deal with it. I could not cope with that.
0: Yes, I mean, let's let's admit that. As much as you maybe didn't like him, you never dreamed he was going to turn out to be the person he really was.
1: No. Um I I <laughs> did dream it actually. Yeah. <laughs> you,
0: on, you did dream it. Tell us about yeah. that.
1: Um actually in the beginning, like right after like um like after you guys got married and stuff, um, I had a dream, like I had these reoccurring dreams that um I was stabbing him in my sleep well like in my dreams
2: and I wow. didn't know about that yeah. until way after everything
1: and so oh, I ca- yeah. like I told my mom like a couple times but she probably just thought I was being emotional and I was just like he's gonna come after us he's gonna like try to kill us oh. and um I also had like feelings that he was poisoning her
0: oh my God. Okay.
1: But I don't know if that's true or not, you know? I'm still alive, so probably not. Uh, well, you <laughs> did have a lot of kidney problems, That that's... You had a During lot of hospitalizations. Um, yeah. Very likely. Yeah.
0: I'm just so sorry that the entire family has had to go through this. So here he was sweeping you off your feet, telling you everything you wanted to hear, uh, romancing you and such. So explain how the relationship went sour. What started happening to make you realize this is not the man I thought he was. Well,
2: um, I have a nephew named Chad, and Mm -hmm. Chad had actually called me on, it was a Saturday, I think I left on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and said, what if John had not been in Iraq? Would you still love him? And I thought, well, (laughs) what do you mean? What if he had been in jail? And he says, what if he's not an anesthesiologist? So there were all these what ifs, would you still be Mm -hmm. with him? And I was like, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? So he sort of opened um, up me to obviously look deeper into Uh what was going on. And it wasn't until I think it was three or four days later, he had to go into the hospital. And Mm -hmm. so when he was in the hospital, I took his phone And I started going through it. Um, And then I guess the kids had hired a private investigator and they showed me all these forms, all these different lawsuits, so on and so forth. So John was in the hospital for 23 days. Wow. During that time frame, I was reading a lot, trying to figure, I was in shock. But during that time frame, I thought, what am I going to do? How do I, how do I handle this? I hired a private investigator, and eventually um, I hired this guy that actually had worked for the president. He was a bodyguard for past presidents, and was able to, and hired a uh, forensic psychiatrist, and they were able to tell me about John, uh, who he is, how he works, how he thinks, and so I did go back, I have to tell you, for many reasons. Again, the fear of him Uh hurting me or hurting my kids, uh, destroying us. I also was told that most of these lawsuits were not true, and John was um, actually the victim by a lawyer, Stuart. And so I thought, okay, I 99% believe all the facts, but there's this 1% that maybe there's something behind this. Not that John deserved anything, but, um, you, you, again, you just don't walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had called me from the hospital saying there's nobody that can pick me up, and I'm a softie. I'm an empath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he says, nobody can pick me up. I don't know what to do. I'm stuck here. You're my wife. He knew what to say and what to do. Mm-hmm. So I had picked him up. I put him in a hotel room. And when I put him in the hotel room, um, we went to a lawyer. The lawyer told me he was the victim. He could prove it. He would win the kids over, so on and so forth. So again, 99% of me did not believe him, but there was that 1% that did. Um, so during this time, I needed to learn about John. I needed to learn what was the truth. I needed to know how to deal with him, and I knew, I needed to know how to escape safely. Right keep my family safe, keep myself safe, and not destroy everything. And so that took time. Um, And I did spend a lot of time trying to figure out and be ahead of him Mm -hmm. um, and play his game. And it's hard to play a psychopath's
0: game. Wow. Was he completely healed when he came out of the hospital? No, he wasn't. So he was vulnerable.
2: He was very vulnerable. He had lost... Oh, gosh, 35, 40 pounds in the mm-hmm. hospital, and so he was in bed all the time, uh-huh. and in fact, he ended up going back to the hospital several times, and they wow. wanted to admit him back in. But I finally uh, found out the truth about John and, mm-hmm. again, played his game. Uh, little by little, I was changing passwords. Every paycheck I would take and hide the money, um, give to my kids. Um, I had to literally come up with a plan of how to leave. I left him. I can't even begin to tell you what he tried to destroy. My business, my reputation, everything you can think of, he went after. He, he set my car on fire. Um, Uh. but anyway, I was in hiding for eight months, seven and a Mm. half months.
0: (gasps) What was your breaking point when you finally decided you had to get out of the relationship?
2: Well, first of all, um, I went back one time, Um, and I went back for many, many different reasons, but one of Mm -hmm. them was, at this point, I was in fear that he could hurt my kids, and I thought, if Mm -hmm. I go back, he won't hurt my kids, Mm -hmm. Um, because I think your children's lives become more important than your own, Mm -hmm. and then I also, I had one foot in and one foot out, Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on, he knew all my passwords, all my accounts. Um, he knew too much about me at that point to where you just don't walk away.
0: You know, that's another thing that, uh, I, I like to tell everyone from my experience of, with the foundation that, uh, when you do leave, you don't just walk out. It is very, very important to plan your exit strategy, So I'm glad for you that, and because of your children, you took your time and you were very careful. Well, thank Uh, you.
2: So what happened was I went back mm -hmm. and I decided I would educate myself Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and educate myself who John was, um, how to play his game, and start moving money around and start figuring my life
0: out. Let me ask you this. When you made that decision, did you tell your children that you believed them?
2: Well, I didn't tell them that I believed them or didn't believe them. I just kept everything very private um, because I didn't want them to worry about me, number one, Um, but probably one of the biggest reasons I did leave John, not just because who he is and what he was doing, but I also love my kids so much Uh, that I couldn't bear living the rest of my life with this conflict or not being close to them. And Mm. so that really wears on you after a while.
0: Oh, God bless you. Tara, are you able to describe when John physically attacked you? Yeah, um,
1: so the day before, the day prior, he actually called my work. He used a fake French accent, so he knew my work schedule and everything, And then the day came and I was supposed to go to the Jason Aldean concert that night. And so I was like preoccupied by that the whole day. And I got off 30 minutes earlier than I would have. And so I drove home and I got through the gate of my parking structure. My dog, Cash, he started barking I look over and I see this guy fiddling in his trunk with a tire iron. (laughs) I don't know why I didn't think anything of that, but I was so preoccupied by the concert. And I pulled in and then I walked to where my license plate is and he grabbed me by the waist, looked me in the eyes and said, do you remember me? And from that moment on, I tried to flee and get away from him. And um, I was unable to disconnect from him. I thought he was punching me at a point, but um, he was actually stabbing me.
0: Oh, <laughs> Oh, I'm so
1: sorry. It's okay because he didn't get any major organs or anything. Oh. And it's like... God was looking out for me that day. Um, I put my purse up to protect my heart. So he ended up stabbing my purse multiple times and me actually once or twice. Um, And I ended up falling on the floor and then he fell to his knees. And that's when the knife was um, visible. And Cash was attacking his ankles and legs at this Mm -hmm. time And I
0: love that dog, dog. (laughs)
1: right? And I was just on my back, just pedal kicking him, trying to block the knife as it's coming down on me. And one of the times when the knife was coming down, I kicked his forearm and it fell out of his forearm on my right hand side. And I'm right handed, I picked it up, just didn't give it a second thought. And I started just wailing on him. And as he's falling down on me, I was holding his head so that he wouldn't bite me like a zombie. Um, Because I watched a lot of Walking Dead. (laughs) And then um, I actually gave thought to the last two in the eye and in the forehead. Because I didn't want him to get up and come after me like you see in so many horror movies. And so I did that. I pushed his body off of mine, and then I tossed the knife, and I just start screaming for help. And that time, someone came up with their dog, and they grabbed my dog, Cash, for me. I saw that I had a um, knife wound in my forearm, and I just was putting pressure to that. So I was taking care of myself, and then more people started to arrive.
0: Oh, my. First of all, I want to thank you for telling me and the listeners about this experience. And for sharing that, I know that you're talking about your own life. You're talking about something that's horrible that's happened to you. And I am so sorry that you went through that. Well,
1: honestly, I did everything right in that situation. So when I talk about it, I mean, there are parts where I'm like, oh, man, like, that still hurts a little bit and I'm working through it, but it makes Uh me proud to tell the story because I did do everything right. And if Uh you're in that situation and you did what I did, your chance of survival will go up.
0: I agree. And, and I'm so proud of you. I really am so proud of you. And when you do tell that story, I can tell that you are telling it to help educate others because I agree. You did do everything right. Thank you. (laughs) Wow. I want to switch gears just a bit because you both have been through so much. Let's talk about what happened after John. In the weeks and months that followed all of this, how did you both cope with anxiety and PTSD? Go ahead.
1: I say we were both in shock at Mm -hmm. first. Um, For a long time. Yeah, we both had different ways of dealing with it. Like she... She kind of wanted to get back into that normalcy and go back mm-hmm. to work and mm-hmm. um, have that outlet. And I, I was just in shock. Mm-hmm. I saw that everybody was just looking at me like, "Oh man, like what just happened to you?" And I wanted everyone to think I was okay. Yeah. So for a while, I was in denial. Think I just wanted everyone mm-hmm. to think I was okay and because I didn't want them to feel bad for me. Mm-hmm. And so I um, pretended like because I was you didn't okay. Want,
0: is that because you didn't want your mother and your family, or you didn't want everyone to feel? I didn't
1: want everyone, because everyone was just looking at me like, this girl just got stabbed, like, poor her, is she crazy now? And there was just so many um, negative beliefs mm-hmm. around... Um, my thoughts during that time and how people were seeing me. Mm-hmm. And I did get a lot of friends that heard it and didn't believe it. And mm-hmm. so they're like, she's making up this story. And um, it, that was really hard because, and then to my ex, he didn't know the triggers of PTSD. So when I told him, I don't feel safe right now and stuff around your friends because they just had one issue or because he was my ex-boyfriend. So, you know, sometimes friends have opinions about that. It made me feel like they were going to come after me. And dogs
0: barking. Yeah. And
1: dogs barking, Mm -hmm. I would collapse, have breakdowns, panic attacks, Mm -hmm. you name it. And I didn't understand that those were triggers Mm -hmm. and I really had to get education.
0: Yes. Yes. Did you find that talking to others and sharing your story helped you? other friends and such or professionals so not
1: at first because um a lot of friends were gossiping about it and stuff Mm -hmm. but it came to the point when i went to therapy i found the right therapist Mm -hmm. um i saw probably five different therapy Mm -hmm. uh therapists before that and um this one, she really helped me understand mm-hmm. what happened, understand triggers, and uh, she was empathetic to me, mm-hmm. where I went to Kaiser, and I had this one therapist, and she could only book me in once a month,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: oh, oh. and but you need to get in once a week or twice a week mm-hmm. if you've gone through something like this. Or when
2: you're having a tough day, you need to be able to call that therapist and then be able to talk you
0: through agree.
1: what you're going through. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So definitely, I went to Austin and then I talked to the therapist and then my mom reached out to me and said, hey, I have someone interested in sharing our story. And at this time, I was in a really good place with mm-hmm. my therapy. Mm-hmm. I uh, was going to church actually like three days a week and I really found... Um, I lived in Austin, Texas, so I was just in a really great community there, Mm -hmm. and I prayed about it, and just, like, the answer came to me that I should use my voice, and that it's going to do good, and that, you know, people Mm -hmm. aren't going to be, like, some of my friends, or not so much friends, um, that said the mean things about it, and... Uh It will be believed and people will respect that. And some people won't, but they don't understand.
0: I mm-hmm. uh, God bless you for having the insight to recognize that. And I'm so thankful that you found your therapist that uh, was there for you 24-7 and helped you through this. And, yeah. and, and for you, Deborah, as well. What were some of the steps that you both took to feel like yourselves again?
2: Well... When this first happened, the guilt, oh my gosh, the guilt that you go through and trying to process everything, what was the truth, what was a lie, you really go through a lot. Uh Um, So I found myself trying to get back into work, trying to get normal life again, but I really needed space. Uh I really needed to process and try to figure this out and educate myself what had happened and who this guy was. And so for me, I felt like I jumped back into work. Um, But I was dealing with thinking that someone was following me all the time. I was still in fear. Um, When I would come home, I'd look around and make sure nobody was there. So I still had John in my head that he was following me. Because during those eight months, I was in fear all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. I would go to bed and think he's going to come in and
0: grab and choke me and kill me. Or I, I just can't imagine. Well, how long did it take you to feel like yourself again, to feel like you have your life back in control again?
2: Well, I went to therapy also. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't feel that that was my, what benefited me the most. It was educating myself and mm-hmm. time. Time is so important. So I would say two years uh, is when I started feeling um, like I could handle things again. There's a lot of victim blaming out there. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought, how dare they? And I started thinking, okay, you know what? I went in just to find love and companionship. I did not go in with any other... Intention whatsoever, I just happened to meet a bad guy, That's a right. really bad guy. And so, for me, I've always told my kids, uh, the most important thing for yourself is at the end of the day that you can look in the mirror and feel proud of who you are. Uh-huh. And so, for me, um, I, I had to go back to that of who I am, what I believe in, and realize. I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I wish I would have seen the red flags. I wish I would have done a lot of things differently, but you can't go back. You can only so move true. forward.
0: And at that, That's so true, and you can't live with regret.
2: Right, and at that point, I realized it happened for a reason, mm-hmm. and I need to get out there, have a voice, and help others.
0: Do you feel that there are ways you've become stronger from this? Oh, extremely. Well, first
2: of all, you gain knowledge. Now that I've been in someone else's shoes that's mm-hmm. been abused, you get it. You understand it.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about your individual relationships with gratitude.
2: Oh, with gratitude. Oh, gosh. I have to say that every day I get up and I just feel blessed.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you just, just the fact that I live this, I survived it, that Tara survived, um, we're all, as a family, we're all so close again. I love that. And we just think that maybe it happened for us to share our story and help others with it.
0: You both are two very remarkable women. I, I, I'm, I feel very blessed to be in your presence right now, just remotely, but, uh, I've I am so thankful that I'm blessed enough to just be speaking with you today and listening to your words because you two are very strong and I know your entire family are, are very much the same way. You're very remarkable, very remarkable strong women. Thank you so much. That. <laughs> One of the things that we do on the podcast is I always have a drink of the day. And mm-hmm. I think right now might be a, a good time for us to virtually share. A drink of the day, but I'm going to describe it because I think uh, it's something that will be very soothing. Mm -hmm. Today's drink is called Lavender Moon Milk. And it just sounds so, like I said before, it sounds so soothing. For it, you need three ounces of milk, three ounces of water, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, two teaspoons of honey, one decaf Earl Grey tea bag, and edible lavender buds. Ooh. So, doesn't that sound wonderful? It does. That We're going to try that. So, to create it, you brew the tea and let it steep. And meanwhile, you heat the milk for about two to three minutes. You then combine the tea and the milk, add in the honey and the vanilla, and gently stir and garnish with the lavender buds. Ooh. And I don't know, I felt like right now was the time to bring up our drink of the day because I'm so thankful that I am, again, remotely be sitting with you, two remarkable women.
2: Oh, thank you. you. Well, we feel the same about you and your husband. You have helped thousands and thousands of people. And we're just appreciative of the two of you.
0: Oh, you're so kind. So very kind to say that. I want all of our listeners to know that they can go to I've Got a Secret with com, and I'll have that recipe uh, for the tea uh, on there. And uh, Deborah, I can imagine that there are so many people that might have given up on love after going through something like this. How did you find the courage and the strength to start dating again?
2: Well, there's good and bad people out there. Mm-hmm. And I realized, okay, well, I just experienced... A bad one or two out there. (laughs) Uh, Or three or four. uh,
0: (laughs) To say the least.
2: I'm one of those that has hope. I've always had hope. And I was born uh, without uh, some kidney problems where I wasn't even supposed to survive. And my attitude is you get up and you try again. And I just believe that you have to learn from your Mm -hmm. mistakes. And Mm -hmm. you have to become aware of what's out there but getting up and trying again and having hope. Yeah.
0: Uh, once you were ready to start dating again, what safety precautions did you take?
2: Uh, the first thing I did, I, I met a guy, <laughs> <laughs> and I called Jacqueline right away. I said, look him up, <laughs> <And her> background <laughs> check on this guy before I even returned my phone, the phone call. And then we met uh, in a very um, open area Um Um, in a restaurant. Uh, I didn't give them too much information and we moved very slowly. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just pay attention to the red flags. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to your surroundings. Um, I think
0: that you can never be too cautious at this point. I agree. You have very wise words. (laughs) Now, as I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, your story was turned into a Golden Globe nominated television series. What was it like to see your story play out on TV for both of you?
2: It was interesting because I would watch it and I think, well, that didn't happen. Or, you know, (laughs) so, and it's so weird to sit back and you're watching your own story. Uh, Tara and I watched a lot of it together opposed to with people and so did our dog Coco right now <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it, it's just it was I think for me it was very uplifting I love Connie Britton
0: oh I love her too I was going to ask you how you felt about her portrayal of you because I love her I love her too
2: I thought she did we met before him we became friends in fact, I was just texting her the other day, when we get out of quarantine, we need to get together. But Aww. she's, um, she was delightful. I thought she did a great job. She um, did. I believe that sitting there watching it and realizing it's your life, when you think you're so normal, and mm-hmm. to see this be such a big deal, it it, it feels good um, in so many ways.
0: Oh. Yeah. I'm so happy that, that you both were happy with it and proud of it. Tara, let me ask you this. What would you say to anyone listening who may have, who may have a loved one in danger, but isn't sure how to help?
1: I would say do all your education, um, get informed as much as possible. Try not to come at it with emotional response. Uh, Mm -hmm. try to think very logical and, you know, you just want to tell the person, you don't want to tell them that you're happy for them mm-hmm. um, in that relationship, but you just want to uh, kind of play both sides, if that makes sense, until they kind right. of figure it out, because that person has to leave. They have to figure it out. You they cannot have to make that decision. Yeah, you cannot make them leave. You cannot make them believe what they're seeing right in front of them. They have to figure it out for themselves and want to leave.
0: But don't you agree? It's so important to keep an open line of communication. Oh
1: yeah.
0: Never say something that, that they, will make them turn their back on you. So therefore, you, then you've lost your communication with them.
1: Yeah, that's why I'm like, you want to be careful with your words. You don't want to say like you love their relationship, but you don't want to say you hate it or have issues that's with right. them being with them, mm-hmm. you know.
0: That's right. So true. And my last question is what's next for you both? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: Um, well, right now with quarantine, um,
0: <laughs> exactly. You don't necessarily have to get out of bed in the morning, do you? <laughs>
1: but I really like now it's work is starting to pick up a little bit more and we're going on more podcasts, connecting with more people and getting our lives back to a little bit of the normalcy that we're used to with going in advocating for victims and you know, so I on. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're both writing
2: books. And it's about my life, yet it's also about red flags and about my sister that was murdered. It's more details and a little bit different than the story. We're also, something that I do, and I I think Tara does this every day, I will take so many women, uh, some men, that are going through something and I will answer their questions. I'll talk to them. I'll guide them to whatever is needed. So that has become really a big passion of mine is just helping other women.
0: Yeah. And that is just so wonderful to hear because, you know, you could say, no, I'm going to focus only on me. I deserve this. And everyone would understand that, that if you wanted to just spend your days really focusing on yourself and And healing, and growing, and continuing to give back to yourself—everyone would understand that about both of you. But, but you don't do that. You both just yearn. I can feel it. You yearn to give back. You, you just yearn to reach out to others and help in, in any way that you can. You're both amazing women. Oh, thank thank you. you. How do you feel about playing games? Like games. <laughs> like, no, no, no! <laughs> right now, because another thing that I always do on my podcast is a pl- is play a game.
2: I love games. So, we love
0: games. I do too. I would love to have fun. Period. So that's what we do on the podcast. So we're going to play a game, and today's game is called. She got it from her mom. Oh, dear. <laughs> <No, laughs> obviously, every game that we play on the podcast is focused on our topic of the day. So, I'm going to give clues for a famous mother daughter pair. And you both will yell out the answer when you think you know who I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, don't hesitate to yell out the answer. The first one to say the correct answer gets the point. And even though we're not together, I will be sending a prize for the winner. (laughs) Okay, number one. This mother and daughter are both beautiful blondes, both Golden Globe winners. Goldie Han? Yes! (laughs) Yay! Did we hear a daughter?
1: Oh, what's her name? She's so cute. Gomi Han and Kate Hudson. Yes. Okay.
0: (laughs) I think Tara won that one. I guess so. (laughs) Okay. Number two. Both Hollywood legends in their own right, this mother paved the yellow brick road for her daughter.
1: Oh, Judy Garland. Judy Garland and Carrie. uh, No, no. No,
0: I know her because she was Princess Leia. Um, No, no. Judy Garland and... Uh, so my first name starts with an L. Oh, L- Lila. L- uh, Liza. Simonelli.
1: Oh, oh yeah.
0: Okay, good. Okay, you're tied. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. A, I'm not opposed to helping and cheating and playing games. <laughs> okay, number three. In this pair, we're talking about her second-born daughter, but this ultra-chic momager actually has six children
1: kardashian uh chloe kardashian kylie uh jenner, Clo- chris, uh, jenner. Chris, or, yeah, chris, <laughs> chris jenner yeah chris jenner um okay so chris jenner
0: and uh, yeah chris
1: jenner
0: okay so the answer was chris jenner and kim kardashian yes.
2: uh-huh.
0: who won that one it was like i let's just
2: say we both did
0: (laughs) you both did i think you're right okay the next one is this pair's home base is malibu california the mother is the ultimate top model and her daughter is following in her footsteps kim
1: crawford Christy brinkley and her kid no no kim Kim crawford
0: and her daughter (laughs) or is it okay so there's uh there's a Dance with Hands the stars. I'm going to give you about right? mom has a famous mole. You said Kim Crawford. I said, you just have the first name wrong. Oh. Uh, okay. I'm going to tell you what it is. Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Kaya Gerber. Oh, that's right. Um, I hope I said Kaya right. Okay. The daughter is a Golden Globe winning actress, and the mother is a disco icon. Oh. I don't know that I would have described disco. I, well, yes, yes. So mom is an amazing artist. She sings like super disco. So like we're talking about Diana Ross. Oh, oh Diana Ross. Yeah. And her daughter is Tracy Ellis Ross. So oh, okay. yeah. She's high. an
1: actor, huh? Cool.
0: Okay, the next one. This mother-daughter pair hosts a talk show on Facebook Watch Together.
1: Oh wow! uh, Jaden Pickett Smith and um, what's the
0: other one? The show is called Red Table Talk, aren't
1: we? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Jada's married to Will. You have Jada right, but what's the daughter's name? Willow. 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 Yes. 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 Yes, This is so fun. Okay, the next one is the daughter starred in a kinky film franchise, and the mother earned an Oscar nomination for Working Girl.
2: Working Girl. Oh, Melanie Griffith. Yes, yes, Melanie Griffith, and her daughter was Don Johnson, which is our cousin.
1: Okay, Uh, so Dakota Johnson? Yes, Dakota. Uh Uh-huh. It's a tie. You
2: both got
0: it. it. I know the (laughs) mom usually,
2: she knows the daughters.
0: (laughs) I think you both have tied, everyone. This is the last question. This is a gorgeous blonde pair. The mom is an impressive interior designer, and her daughter is a talented podcast host. Both are extremely inspirational.
1: Oh, (laughs) I think
0: it's us. It is. You're right. You're right. Wow. (laughs) I feel honored. I love that. I love you got it right away. I guess she won. She won. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. I'm so sad. It's over. Uh, Debra and Tara, thank you for being so candid and vulnerable with The Secret Squad today. I know you've touched so many listeners with your story. Debra, could you tell the listeners where to find you and your business online?
2: Okay, well, uh, Debra Ambrose Newell is Facebook, and then Debra Newell is Instagram, and then I have stores in Vegas called Ambrosia Home.
0: I love that. And Tara, tell us more about your podcast and where to listen.
1: All right. My podcast is Time Out with Tara. You can listen on anywhere where podcasts are available. Um, My Instagram is Tara Newell, T-E-R-R-A-N-E-W-E-L-L. And then I also have a website, taranewell.com. And then I am on Twitter. You guys can follow me on there. Um, But on Twitter, I feel like I just like to... Give out random thoughts about my quarantine in life.
0: I love that. I love that. Well, that is just wonderful. And Secret Squad, visit I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for more information about this episode. And if you or a loved one is feeling unsafe in a relationship, please visit WhenGeorgiaSmiled.org for more information and resources and ways to get help. Stay safe and tell someone you love them today. Bye-bye.